What's up, guys? This is episode three of the Find a Topic podcast. I am your host, Trill Bro Dude, aka Porter, and I just wanted to say once again off the top that we unfortunately did have some technical difficulties again. Um, using Zoom to record was probably not the best idea, but we're going to go back to the way that we recorded the second episode next week, and we should not have any more issues with our recordings, but if there are any blemishes on the recordings or you know, some things might drop out. I apologize for that in advance. Hope you enjoy the episode. We had Austin Krell from the Painted Lines and Last Out Media on to talk about the Sixers and kind of everything that's been going on with them recently. Uh, we had a really good conversation, and later this week, I'm actually recording another one. Not sure if I'm going to drop this episode this week or next week, but I will have another special guest on to do a mailbag episode. So if you have any questions, I'm recording it tomorrow. Today is Wednesday. Tomorrow's Thursday. If you have any questions, tweet them at me, Trill Bro Dude, and we will address them on the podcast. So if you have any questions about the Sixers, could be anything, just throw it out there. Me and my guests are going to go over it. Should be a fun podcast. Once again, rate, review, subscribe. I've gotten so much good feedback and I really, really appreciate it. If you even just share it with a friend that might like the Sixers or send it to pretty much anyone, I don't care, post it on your social media. I would really, really, really appreciate it. Gotten a lot of listens so far, gotten a lot of good feedback, and I want to continue doing it. So thank you. And here we go. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the third episode of the Find a Topic podcast. I'm very excited to have on another guest that makes predictions that come true about the Sixers. Um, this week, we have Austin Krell from The Painted Lines and Last Out Media. You might know him from Twitter, which uh, we, we were actually just discussing the time uh, a few days ago that he he predicted the uh, the zone being popped out against the uh, Indiana Pacers. What's going on, Austin? How are you? Not much. Thank you for having me on, uh, I guess, Trill, bro, dude. It's, it's yeah, Trill, but I don't even... Even I'm such a bad host. I don't even introduce myself. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting putting like a, a face to the to the character behind the you know the Colangelo the Colangelo so Joker fun. face. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. Uh, yeah. Basically, sure. Brian Colangelo made me the Joker, so uh, I figure it's kind of paying homage to him uh, with sure. with that picture. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, um, I, I, we might as well talk about that up top, just because it is funny that. Uh, the other day, I was I was scrolling through Twitter on you know Sunday uh, like I usually do because I don't have a life, uh, and I'm scrolling through, and I see Austin's tweet that says the Sixers he would not be surprised if they pull out the zone defense at some point yeah. against the Indiana Pacers, and my first thought was like the Sixers have never run the zone like I've just <laughs> like I know other teams will use it against the Sixers because it will yeah. like, be incredibly uh, mad yeah. but <laughs> but what why did that even come to your brain before the game because I thought that that was an interesting thing because like I said I've never even seen the Sixers run it so what what, what made you think that they they might um so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and act like I knew that they had practiced it for five minutes like like I have five I thought it was hilarious that like they were like post game giving golden 
quotes about how, oh, we've done this for five minutes and we just tried right. it and it worked. <laughs> like, I thought that was great. You don't have uh, Dan Burke's number or anything? Yeah. No, 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 none of that. None of that. Not yet. Um, I, I just was, I was looking at their stats um, and I, I was writing one of my columns for Last Out and I was looking at uh, some of their like, um, some of their just advanced stats. And then I was looking at actually for the Spurs, I was writing it. And then the Pacers kept coming up near the Spurs in three point volume and attempts and, and made. So in passing, I just thought like, oh, I'll just throw this out there. Like maybe it would be a good idea to go in his own. And I told my dad, I was like, it was like, it was like, that would be good. I'd be smart. My uncle was actually here too. Um, and then lo and behold, they go zone. And I didn't even, it didn't even register in my mind until like midway through the fourth quarter when my dad pointed out, he was like, aren't they in zone? And didn't you say zone? And I was like, oh yeah, look at that. And then I was doing something. I saw you retweeted it and your following has just expanded beyond the wild, like wild. Well, you're going to catch me the 3000, I would think probably by the end of, of like March, that would it's, be my guess. It's really funny because I've had a few different accounts before, but this one, for some reason, uh, probably just because of my negativity about the Sixers has, <laughs> has gone on more so right. than the other ones. And it's like, I don't have a lot of followers, but they always, and there are a lot of them are listening to this. So thank you for continuing to support me but all of you respond to all of my tweets <laughs> so yeah. so anytime like, i retweet something people are like yo can you like not sick your followers on me i'm like my bad yeah yeah so so i i saw you like you gave me a little eye emoji and i was like I was like oh this is gonna blow up our neck his troll bro knows what he 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 he, he knows how to get the interaction and then literally by the, like it had like i would guess eight or nine favorites by the end of the game and then you retweet it and then next day i was at 100 so i, I was oh shit damn i didn't even realize it got that yeah. big and i went up i got up like 17 followers so it was nice so, and, and people were, were like well done touche and i was wow. sitting there, like all i said it was in passing like hey the zone wouldn't be the worst idea because you if Make them make them beat you with threes. I mean, they're right. not a they're not a high volume three point shooting team, um, and they kind of had like traces of last year's Sixers, where yeah, like one guy that can credibly knock it down, maybe two, but really, if you put them in a position where they're not like quick twitch making decisions, they're kind of too slow. <laughs> and, yeah. and so, I just kind of thought it was a good idea. Now, credit to credit to Doc. Usually with a zone, it. it what you'll find is they'll you, you'll just plug a big by the free throw line right. and then have him come up, catch the ball, high post and turn square up and shoot. And that mm-hmm. can kind of bust your zone. Um, but Doc had a re- Doc putting Matisse and, and Ben up front, I thought was brilliant. The Pacers only had two assists in the fourth quarter. Um, and you know, that, that length, that they're both plus wingspans for a six ten and whatever, six something Matisse is. Five, six, six. Yeah. Yeah. But his wingspan is six seven foot. Ben's is you know he's six ten and he has a plus wingspan. So I mean you're getting there anyway. Um, they couldn't enter the ball. Really, no. they couldn't passes. They couldn't really progress past the three point line, and so everything was like drive and kick or just like settle or just pick and roll stuff. And they really couldn't. Or get just it. fling the ball up at the basket. Yes. Like on that one, that yes. one drive, I think it was Aaron Holiday where he literally just like flailed towards the basket and just like chopped it up. That was towards the beginning when they like first introduced the zone. I think it kind of broke their brain. They were like, wait, what is this? The Sixers have never done this before. And and as you said, Doc actually said that they had some success against, uh, uh, um, against the Pacers running it when he was on the Clippers and Dan Burke reminded him of that and that's why they ended up using it in the game but but no exactly what you said about because i remember last year specifically in a game i believe it was against the heat i don't think it was yeah yeah, when spolstra broke the sixers when it was 12 they Mm -hmm. go zone and then the rest of the game they're down like 20 
Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I so that was the that was the game where it took Brett about five minutes to figure out the zone, which as you said, pass it to the big man in the high post, and they finally yeah. got it to Embiid and he started hitting hitting shots and you know he's able to distribute from there. Yeah. But I it's it's funny because I think in theory the Indiana Pacers, because of what you said about their three-point shooting definitely would be a team that you would try to use with that. But then you think about, you're like, oh, but they have Sabonis, who's one of the best shooting, mid-range shooting bigs in the game. He's one of the best passing bigs in the game. But as you said, using Ben and Matisse there, whenever he would try to do anything in terms of posting up, in terms of driving, they would just swipe at the ball. And it was like, it was breaking him. And when you can break a guy like Sabonis, who's usually incredibly composed, that's when I know that psychologically <laughs> you have essentially broken the Pacers in the same way that Eric Spolscher broke the Sixers last year. Yeah. And I, I just think like the length is so important um, in that zone for the Sixers, especially because only have two assists. Like I said, what that really what that translates to is they can't even see their teammates to make passes because the right. length is so, is so smothering. And so, you know, it's so overwhelming. And I thought that was just a really smart adjustment. I mean, I, I I'm still like laughing about it two days later that doc was like, Oh yeah, we, we did that for five minutes. And shoot her <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, like, I don't know. We did it. And we were just like, fuck it. Why not pull it out in the <laughs> middle of the game? We're already down 18. Yeah. What's the, well, like, why not? But yeah, yeah it's, it, it's funny. Also one little side note about the doc thing. Doc is such a politician in terms of like, he knows how to work the media and he knows how to work the fans in a way that I've never, like he's like, you can tell he's a very emotionally intelligent person because he was talking about it afterwards and he goes, you know, the John Cheney zone. And of course, Philly fans are going to be like, oh my God, this guy is, I love Doc for pulling that out right after John Cheney passes away. And then two, the media just ate it up. And I was like, like Doc, in a way, you know, Brett was a very nice guy and like super likable, but Doc has this charm about him that Brett did not have. And it's really interesting just to see. I just thought that was a funny little thing that he threw in there. And I was like, of course, he knew that people would eat that up. And you know, what's funny about Brett. And I I mean, I, I, people like people talk about this a lot during the end of Brett Brown's tenure and I kind of like thought about it for a while like during the COVID time I was like well why is it that like like Brett has kind of embedded himself into this like into the into the media as some sort of like grandfathered in type figure where even if he if he just isn't doing a good job anymore people don't want to say it and it kind of like hit me like if you look at the ages of so many of the beat writers um, tw- guys in their you know late teens 20s 30s they all got into the game when he was, you know, during his tenure. Right. And he really helped them. I mean, he didn't help them, but he was there to see them grow and he was there with them through it all. And they, expe- they had, you know, some of their finest experiences as, as beat writers with him. So I can understand why there would be this, like this, he's a nice guy. Right. That's it kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, um, it was, it was essentially the, the complete opposite side of the spectrum when everyone was talking about Tobias Harris and they were like, Oh, he's a nice guy, but we've never seen him have the sort of success and the sort of like, you know, we're not used to his personality long-term. So we're going to criticize him much more harshly than we would the coach, which I've, as, as I've said on here, I think there has been a little bit of revisionist history with Brett, I think, and I don't want to sound like a, a broken record here, but like, 
people were tweeting like, you know, oh, Brett Brown never wins a game like that without Embiid. And I'm like, Brett Brown's record was actually over 500 without Embiid in the yeah. last three years. And yeah. like, you know, I, obviously, you know, the way that the team has looked without Embiid this year has not been good. And, and that's not even on Doc. I'm not even going to put it on him. Like, it was I, horrible I, with that with, with it before Doc too. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. like, you know, we don't have to talk about the Raptor series because I've brought it up on both of the first two podcasts. But like, you know, we know the plus minus. We know all that stuff. We know the fact that the team is just built around Joel. And like every move that has been made since Maury came in, and I'm not even faulting Maury all that much uh, for this either because it was a situation that he inherited. But it is something that will continue to come up every time that Embiid misses a game or in a playoff situation, anytime that he's off the court where you are lacking that shot creator because yeah. the attention that and the gra- the post-gravity that Joel Embiid has now at playing like the MVP of the league, when you take that, remove that from the situation, you have essentially a bunch of secondary pieces who are made to complement Joel Embiid Seth Curry specifically. I mean, I did you see the plus minus that I posted on Twitter? I think it was yesterday or it might've been today about basically the JJ Redick and Seth Curry kind of taking it to heart. Um, yes. Yeah. So- I, I did say, I did say that with one of your famous, like that, that graph that's way easier to read than NBA.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 That's a uh, PPP stats.com, which is, yeah, they, they, they do. Yeah, they do a thing called wowie combos, which is essentially you can see how a player is with a certain player on the court and how a player functions without that player on the court. And Seth Curry specifically was someone that I brought up. I have it right here. In 84 minutes without Joel Embiid, Seth Curry is a negative 22.84 net rating. In the 314 minutes he has played with, Joel Embiid, he's a 20.58 net rating plus. So to show how much impact Joel has on the team, that's like, you know, one of your four, five, six best players is struggling that much when he's not there. A lot of that kind of stuff is like basically part of the reason why I haven't fully bought in with this team. (laughs) It's like, you know, like I, I've been very positive about them compared to how I was before, but when you remove that element of Embiid, who don't get me wrong, you have an MVP candidate, you take away an MVP candidate from any other team, they're going to struggle unless maybe they're the Nets. Like I think the Nets might be the one team because they have two MVP candidates and another all-star on top of that. So so yeah, it's basically like, to me, I, I, I can't even, you know, fault the team for playing the way that they have without him. And I can't put that on Doc and I can't put that on Maury because they have time to improve it as they've said. And they also have time to make those moves to kind of make it so that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think back to that 2017, 18 season when Joel, um, when the sleeper cell, Markel Fultz comes in and clocks Joel in the face <laughs> and breaks his head. Um, you know, he's out for what, eight, nine games, 10 games. Yeah. They win eight more games in a row, nine more games in a row with their best player being a rookie point guard. And they're, they're I mean, they're, they weren't just doing it with like, they weren't doing it with Tobias. They're, they're doing it with Robert Covington, JJ Redick, Marco Bellinelli, Ersan Eliasova, Dario Saric. Right. And, and your starting center was like Amir Johnson. Like, 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 that's pretty, I don't care what you, like, like what, you know, what issues anyone have with Brett Brown? That there's there's coaching in there somewhere that makes that happen. While, Absolutely. While, while your best players out. 
In fact, I will say there were a lot of times when guys would miss time and I was impressed with some of the things that he did. And I think that Doc will get to that point too. Like, you know, like it's really funny because uh, if if we want to go back to the whole z- two, three zone thing, one of the things that has become kind of, you know, I guess part of my brand is the Dwight uh, Thibault Ben lineups that I constantly complain uh, about. You and, you and me both. <laughs> and, and it's like, here's the thing we know as Sixers fans, when you're talking about playing three non-shooters, which I have brought up on several podcasts already, you, one of those people must be thought of as a shooter, right? Like the Bible is thought of as a shooter. He is not a non-shooter in the minds of the Sixers because he was a decent shooter last year. And now this year, his shooting has fell off a cliff and then you know that Dwight and Ben aren't shooters they are just not bad at all and in order to make that work you kind of have to surround them with shooters and then in this situation I think it was unique in that the 2-3 zone that they ran was able to create so many uh, transition opportunities that they were able to mitigate some of the effects that that would have on the offense yeah creating all these turnovers, getting out and running. We know Thibel's better running. We know Ben's better running. And it was able to do that. And it literally took their net rating, which I believe I talked about it last week, was a negative 24. And it cut it in half to an 11. Just based on that, like, what, eight, nine-minute run uh, that they were playing at the end of the game. So part of me was celebrating it. And then another part of me was like, oh, fuck, he, this is going to be used yeah. as a way to play these three together now. Don't yeah. you feel that way? Exactly. And you know, it's so funny because like, you say that because you, when you have that, that lineup of like Dwight and Ben, that in and of itself, like you, you don't need three guys you know, that are theoretical shooters. You need a guy that's a the- that's like you can like afford to have one guy that's a theoretical shooter, and then two actual guys that can shoot the ball. When you bring when you addition when you add Thibel into that mix, you don't have you don't have any time and space for theoretical shooters. You need like you need two JJ Reddicks. You need a, a you know a Seth and someone else guys that are legitimate snipers. Furkin um, turning into Steph Curry. Yeah, no, right, right, exactly right. Um, but I I also I'm trying to find the right time to ask Doc about this because like. It's we all see it that 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 lineup of Dwight, Ben, and, and Matisse, it just doesn't work on offense, and they're just for whatever reason not good enough defensively. Now that zone, that that zone, that might be a solution they can work with going forward. And I'm I'm trying to f- figure out the right time to ask it. I will say, as my first season on the beat, Doc has had has had a couple times where he has owned me. Uh, at, at, <laughs> at, when I ask him questions, he'll, he'll he'll give me like these little like like these like snarky responses, which looking back, I'm like, well, no shit. You would ask a dumb question. Right. But, but, but um, I, I definitely think that's something that, that they should explore going forward for sure. Absolutely. And like those kind of, first off, I remember you asking a question about that during one of the press conferences and he was kind of like indicating that he was starting to understand that like, yeah, no, these, this thing might not work. Like those three together might not be a great fit. Yeah. Yeah. Because I believe it was in that game or it was in the next game where he played them for one minute and then uh, just completely was like, all right, fuck this. Like, let's put in Tobias. Like, yeah, like yeah, put yeah. in Tobias for Ben or Tobias for Thibel and we'll be right. able to kind of, you know, mitigate some of the effects of, of that lineup. But 
now you have this zone which which introduces an element that is completely foreign to what we've seen from the Sixers over the past few seasons. And now you have, as you've said, the personnel to run this zone, uh, possibly the two best players in the NBA (laughs) in terms of perimeter defenders to run this zone. My question is what kind of teams do we deploy that against? Because like you think about the teams that we play regularly and I'm like, don't want to play that against Boston because I'm like, yeah. I don't want to give Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum wide open shots. Like, right. Well, just so like they have the pieces that you can sort of slide into that little free throw line, no man's land that can hit those shots. Like Marcus Smart could do it. Uh, he's like, you know, even if he's just like turning in, just chucking up these like weird he floaters, that. he can make crazy shots. Um, Jason Tatum can, can, can hit in the mid range. Jalen Brown can do it. Kemba can do it. So, I mean, I, I, I think you're you're looking for teams like Spurs. <laughs> um, yeah, the Spurs, except true, Marcus Aldridge true, true, is like the true, king true. of the long two, right? Um, and so is Demar Derozan. Um, I, I almost said Golden State, but then I remember they had like, the best. <laughs> no, in theory, time. that kind of team would work right. though. Like, I mean, like just because of the amount of non-shooters that they play, or guys that think they're shooters that they're not at all. Yeah. Like the Magic would be a team that I, you know you, you could right. use it with just because like Vucevic doesn't really like you don't see him like turning and pivoting a lot right or like, or like catching and then catching keeping the ball high and turning and shooting you'd see him a lot of like face up from the perimeter I'm just gonna shoot it um, right. but yeah I mean like those again like the reason that zone defenses are so rare is because teams have adapted to that like they now have guys that can put outside to stretch you out and 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 make shots from the perimeter now they ha- now most bigs are you know they're they're licensed in shooting you know, the, the foul line extended or higher. So the reason that the zone is so rare is because the NBA adapted to it and there's yep. no point in it anymore, except for the Pacers who refuse to sort of modernize the game. And, you know, they continue to love, you know, you know like getting to the, getting to the rim and shooting from the mid range, but not really like shooting threes. Right. And playing two bigs at the same time, even yeah. though those bigs might be not super traditional bigs. Right. But, but yeah, it's funny. I actually, in the middle of our conversation about the Celtics, I remembered, oh, actually that did work in the playoffs against the Celtics. Eric Spolstra broke it out and it kind right. of, it f- fucked up the flow of their offense. But at the same time, eventually Brad Stevens got to the point where I believe that the points per possession were actually higher against the zone than they were against man. It was just, it got to the point where they figured out the zone and um, you know, it was actually the man coverage where they were not figuring it out. So, so now that teams might be expecting it, I don't think it will be as much of a secret weapon, but as we've said before, we have the personnel for it and it's good to know that we can use it in these situations because it was, it was being used in the playoffs last year more so than I think I've, I've yeah. seen it. And I, I, since I started being heavily invested in basketball in the past, you know, 10 years or so. Yeah. I mean, like Miami literally like went on a brigade to the finals with a zone. <laughs> I mean, they, that was Toronto played there. it too. Yeah. Toronto. Yeah. T- Toronto did like a, I think it was like a triangle two or like a box and one, something like that. It was some like, like spherical shape defense that Nick nurse constructed that, that like really worked. <laughs> Hooked it up in the lab. Yeah, no, exactly. It was, we had like his, his like bisector for like geometry and was just cooking up all those different shapes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, like, like it's, you know, it, it works when you have an athletic big like Bam that that can or like or like the, the, the Raptors had with Ibaka that 
can turn and recover and retreat back towards the rim if that pass is made out of right. the post to, to, to blow the basket. Joel, he's, a, he's, a, he's crazy athletic in what he can do, but he doesn't have that quick burst turning and recovering. And you don't really want that out of him given his knees and given you know his, his leg history. I mean, you're looking for like one misstep and like one bad turn of the knee and he's out for however long. So exactly, you know, that's something that you can use in moderation, but you, you don't, you know, you put, you save it for special occasions. That's like the old whiskey that your dad keeps in, 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 in the cabinet for like special holidays and celebrations. Yeah. You know, it's, it's why we haven't been playing Isaiah Joe. We're going to break him out one of these games and he's just going to come in and have like seven threes off the bench. And they'll be like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> he's got two first names. What the hell is going on here? Yeah. All right. Um, so I do just want to mention here before we move on to our next topic of conversation that I I have to formally apologize one to Doc Rivers for doubting him uh, during the game. I was there were a lot of tweets about the Thibel Ben lineups and 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 there was a lot going on and on my last podcast I kind of went in on Matisse Thibel and then he played the best week of his career <laughs> literally right after. So I have to say formal apologies to Matisse Thibel for, uh, you know, I know he's an avid listener of the podcast to, you know, basically what I have seen from him in the past week has, I, I'm not even talking about on defense because we've seen this from him on defense before. Like we've seen him literally take it like that Nets game last year on MLK day, him and Ben just kind of taking it that over. And unbelievable. The- I remember that game so clearly. Yeah. amazing like just absolutely taking it over which is as we said last week like a defensive playmaker almost like the six-man equivalent on offense but for a defensive player to be able to just have that in your back pocket at all times is an insane weapon he's been drawing le- or he's been committing less fouls he's been getting he's leading the league in deflections by a wide margin if you talk about if you want to talk about per capita in terms of blocks per minute, uh steals per minute he is by far the highest uh, he he leads the league in steals per minute he's the only person he has 4.4 uh i'm sorry f- uh per 36 4.4 steals per 36 the only person that is even close is tj mcconnell who has 2.9 yeah. you, you get into that fourth steal range you're i would you, you most seasons you're leading the league by a pretty significant margin if you're averaging three four steals per 36 so i mean that, that's pretty incredible it's insane. I mean, it's like that. And then in addition to that, which the second part of this, which was even more impressive to me was the fact that he was the only non big in the top 25 in terms of blocks per minute or blocks per 36 1.9 blocks per 36. And like everyone around him was like the, the names that you would expect Robert Williams, obviously miles Turner and them are, are, are a little bit higher, but it was like, literally he was the only wing and funny enough the only other wing in the top 30 was andrew wiggins so whenever you're in that company you know you're in good shape <laughs> yeah yeah and i'll tell you what like credit to the warriors they, they he's had a really he's had arguably the best season as a pro all around we do this every year with wiggins i'm gonna wait yeah. a little bit yeah. to no, say yeah. but no i agree from a Every time I've watched them, he's been more engaged than I've ever seen him in my career, yeah. in his career, which is like 
there were weeks and months prior in Andrew Wiggins career where like he would have a game or he would have a streak of like a week where like, but like you would watch the games and he wasn't engaged. He, he is just a talented scorer and like could score from a, a lot of different places on the court. And now when I watch, he's, tr- he's definitely way more engaged on defense than I've ever seen him before, which is hilarious considering where he was three or four years ago. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of speaks to, to culture difference. Like, like that Minnesota team I was watching on Friday and I was thinking to myself, Oh my God, this is one of the worst teams I think I've ever seen. Daniel Russell, like, like shooting baseline fadeaway out of bounds, like 18 footers. Like, like, like what are you doing, man? And then like Malik Beasley, is, he he's missing like a, a, a bajillion open looks. Um, they don't make open and shots. And he's the best. I think he's the best player on their team the when Carl Anthony Towns. Like and, and, and like, I like Malik Beasley, dude. I was calling for the Sixers to to try to inquire about him. And this is prior to all the illegal issues. But I I was watching that game the other night and I was just stunned that he was the best player on their team. And I was like, if Malik Beasley is the best player on your team, like you're in trouble like and you're he's not, he's not even the max salary by the way no no oh my god he's not if he got overpaid he got paid like, like 18 million and like that's a guy that i think would be in the 10 to 15 million range i would be happy to have him on my team and i think that he can grow into someone who might be the third or fourth best player on a on a contender yeah. but uh just because of his skills that being able to work off ball and shoot and all that yeah. stuff but it, it, it's amazing to me to see you know I remember a few years ago, the Sixers and the and the Timberwolves would get compared all the time because they both had, you know, Wiggins and Cat, Ben and Joel. Like they had a lot of similarities in terms of the high picks, but all number one, you know, all four of those guys were number one, except for um, Joel, who was three and should have went one. Let's be honest. Oh, uh, they they lucked into him. It's unbelievable. So so crazy. I I I constantly think about if he had never got injured. But luckily, we don't have to live in that reality. Yeah. Um, and we can transition on to uh, our next topic, which is we're gonna go a little bit off of the Sixers path. Um, and we're gonna go to the Bradley Beal discussion that everyone yes. has been having over the past week. The trade that the ringer has been trying to force since 2018 as i've been saying on the podcast this is now gotten to the point where i'm like can can we just chill the fuck out about the bradley beal talk like james harden got traded and then immediately you you had Giannis sign the supermax the month before that then you have james harden get traded and now the nba media is like why doesn't bradley beal want to be traded like i feel like they're personally like having an issue with it. <laughs> like yeah. it's it's funny the contradictions within the NBA media this guy's not loyal he doesn't want to try to you know build where he is like you know and then Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal want to try to do that and then they're like why don't these guys just force trades like do they not care about winning <laughs> right, right. And, yeah. and now we're getting to the point where with Bradley Beal like he has come out and said I don't want to get traded every report says he doesn't want to get traded and I don't think he's going to be traded during the season. Do you? No. Um, you know, I, I do have a bit of the of a problem with the way Bradley Beal is is sort of going about it. And call me a boomer, I guess, uh, if you want. I mean, <laughs> you are a boomer. You're no, being a huge I'm, boomer I'm, right now. It's, it's okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> I'm like I'm like ninety at heart. Um, <laughs> Old soul. But but like like okay, you're frustrated. Totally understand that. 
and you want the team to win games. I understand that. How do you, as a basketball player, look up and down that roster and think like, okay, we, we, we can win games. Like, so you're clearly not very good as a team and yet you don't want to get traded, but you want them to win games. And then when you're playing when you're not scoring, you're just kind of like moping around with bad body language. I, I, you you can't, that's not going to solve anything. And it's, it's not going to make things better. Yeah. Um, and it's going to put more pressure on your young te- your young and impressionable teammates who are some of, some of which are rookies, some are, you know, are, are second year players, but Bradley Bill, he's an unbelievable scorer. Like, you know, I think he is just an incredibly talented offensive player. Um, I would like to see more out of him as a leader. Um, and just like understand that like the situation you're got, you're either going to get traded and to, to where you want to, to a situation where you can win and be happy or you're staying in DC, understanding that winning isn't going to happen this year. Like, they, just, yeah. You and they to, even came out and said that they will trade him. Like if they are to trade him, eventually the report came out that like, they are going to work with him to get him where he wants to go. Right. So which, which is in really this situation, good. which, which is a good thing for sure. Yeah. yeah. But what that really does is, if you think about it, that endears you to future free agents because Bradley Beal's agent talks to someone else's agent and, you know, they're asking him about the Wizards and like, yeah, you know, they were, they did a really good job of accommodating my request, even when things, you know, were, were the relationship was fractured. That, that goes a long way in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things in the NBA, um, you know, down the line in the close future. But to answer the question, I, I, you know, any team that gets him is going to be very, very, you know, fortunate to have him. And he's going to fit, he fit with almost any team you can think of. Um, he's, he's that good of a player. He plays off ball, plays on ball, incredible shooter, incredible scorer. Um, the one thing that I think you can't neglect is that like, if you look at the on and off with him um, the last couple of years and like specifically the last two years, when he's on the court, the wizards are getting out or, or giving up like, over 117 points per 100 possessions, which, which, by the way, is atrocious. Yeah. <laughs> that's really bad. It's on, one it's of the worst defense bad. in the league, yeah, yeah. if not the worst. Yeah. Now, with him on the court, obviously, you're, 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 your offense is probably doing pretty well with him on the court. Right. You look before, if you look at before Wall went down, before, before they really started to go into this rebuild mode or whatever, whatever they're in now, it was a lot better. A lot, lot. He has his offensive load was a lot lesser. His and they were, you know, the, the he was giving up like a hundred. I think it was hundred and six points per hundred possessions with him on the floor. So that's that's way more feasible, way more tenable. As he's taken on an increased working, an increased workload on offense, he's sort of sacrificed his defense a little bit. For sure. And, yeah. Yeah. And and I and I think for the Sixers specifically, because this is a Sixers theme podcast, um, I just don't know if that's what you want. Cause this team has forged an identity of, we have an elite defensive perimeter player in Ben Simmons. We have an elite defensive big in Joel Embiid. If you trade for Bradley Beal, you're, pro- you're, you're, I'm going to guess you're going to have to probably include Ben Simmons there. Well, that, that is why I wanted to bring this up actually. Yeah. yeah. My guess because is with Ben Simmons. I, if you're the Washington wizards, what does Ben Simmons do for you? Like the, I've, I've been, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, if I'm the Wizards, I want I want closer to a hardened package, but I want a guaranteed good young player on a rookie contract. Yeah. Because if you're the Washington Wizards, no one's going to want to stay there. Like right. the reality right now is the Washington Wizards are bad. Whoever, whichever player that they get in terms of whether it's 
Jamal Murray or Ben Simmons or Ben Simmons and Russell Westbrook, we know would be an awful fit or Brandon Ingram or whoever it is that would be probably a player, a tier or two below where Bradley Beal is right now. Maybe that tier right behind him. Yeah. yeah. They're not going to be good enough in the next five years. Whenever their contract is up, I believe they're both signed to five-year max contracts to be good enough to be contenders. And then those guys are just going to leave for LA or wherever. And you're going to be stuck in the same situation that you're in now, where the guy's asking for a trade in three years. So if I'm them, I've been kind of, you know, uh, the names that come up are always the same names, right? (laughs) Like yeah, Michael Porter Jr., Tyler Harrow, like was, which was the I was thinking of Michael Porter Jr. I don't want to hear about like I, like credit to Miami fans for 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 seeing whatever they whatever they see in Tyler Hero. Let's just be real, like he, he's not on the same level as a lot of these star centered packages like Michael Porter Jr. I, mean, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I think that Michael Porter Jr. is like superstar. Like if he can stay healthy, we're talking about a yeah, a, a perennial all-star in terms of just yeah. his ability to shoot and score and at his size to be able to do what he does. I mean, the, the health is the big question mark. And if you're trading your franchise player and you're getting back, and by the way, I don't even know if the Nuggets would be interested in this. Every report says they don't want to trade him. So, I mean, that's kind of like, that's the thing is that the only teams that have showed any sort of interest in Bradley Beal and that it has been reported are the Sixers and the heat. So those are the two teams. And I look at our team and I say, we could send them Ben Simmons, which I have argued would be a fine trade for me. I'm okay with it. Yeah. You're, you're very much on the, on this end of Ben, get Ben Simmons off my basket. No, 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 absolutely not. No, no, no. I like Ben. I just think that in terms of fit and in terms of of time frame, what, what will time frame and what will take the Sixers to the next level? Having Ben Simmons on the team is fine if he can be your third option. Yeah. If he's your second option with no primary creator as the second option behind Joel Embiid is where I have an issue. And it's not even a Ben Simmons problem. It's a roster construction problem that is not Ben Simmons' fault. And he shouldn't have to, you know... <laughs> worry about these things regularly if 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 this roster was built by a normal team and a normal gm they would have sought those things out yes but the situation that daryl morey inherited was not that at all and he has a few different paths to get that kind of person but they're also the most sought after players in the nba like bradley beal people talk about this shit and they're like, well, maybe Tyler Harrow and like uh, two first round picks. And I'm like, first off, like Miami can't even trade first round picks. They have like, you're talking about trades, like what picks like four or five years out that they can even dip into because of how many they've traded. And then in addition to that, like, I'm also with you with the Harrow thing. Like, I think he's going to be good. Like, I think he's a good, talented young player. And like, I believe in his work ethic in his game and like i think he'll be a decent player but i don't foresee him being like a five ten time all-star the way I that people talk about be de- like people people like they see that can like so like i i went to a scouting like school for like a couple one a couple summers ago with a guy now works for the lakers and one of the, one of the pieces of advice i remember him giving was like um don't compare players to like players that are like the same skin color don't compare white guys to white guys if you can help it don't compare right. your to euros don't compare lefties to lefties um don't compare 
guys that went to Kentucky to guys that went to Kentucky. <laughs> I feel oh, like yeah. it's so it's so natural and easy to compare him to Devin Booker. Right. But like they're I think they're completely different animals. It's completely different players. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think that in terms of like I I actually was talking about it the other day. A lot of people compared uh, Tyler uh, Harrow to JJ Redick, but that is really just because he's white. Like, I mean, there's really, it's a <laughs> David Booker went to Kentucky. JJ uh, Redick is white. Uh, T- Tyler Hero. I honestly, I, I see a few different people in his game, but yeah. he, he definitely is more unique uh, in terms of like, there isn't like a, an exact comp for him. Like I've heard people say like, well, he kind of plays like Zach Levine, but I'm like, but he's not as athletic as Zach Levine. Uh, and he's not yeah. as, as long as Zach Levine. Like, he doesn't have the tools that Zach Levine has. And also like, I'm sure he has a good work ethic, but Zach Levine is a fucking psycho when it comes to working. So like, you better be busting your fucking ass in the gym every day. If you think you're going to be as good as him. And yeah. you already have seen it with Maxi right now. The comps are, you know, uh, I heard him. People comped him to Jamal Murray. I heard people comped him to you know SGA. Those kind of things. Like, like the, that's just because he went to Kentucky. But this kind of brings the whole conversation full circle in terms of like what kind of package could the Sixers build, and what kind of packages are out there for Bradley Beal right now? Because I would look at our team right now, and and I I just want to say I think that whatever package we could build that would be without Ben Simmons would easily get beat by another team. Like, I think that that is something that people like people don't really want to talk about like what it would take to get Zach Levine or what it would take to get Bradley Beal. But like, like I said, like people are like, Oh, maybe Tyler Harrow and two first round picks and whatever, blah, blah, blah. This is literally a top 20, 25 player in the league. That is a perennial score. He's going to go for a package that's closer to, James Harden, Anthony Davis than you think. Like, that's just how it's going to go. If Drew Holiday went for what he went to, and I think that they're in the same tier of player, arguably. That was a disastrous trade. That's what I'm saying, though, is like, like, if he is going for that, then Bradley Beal, who's younger and does the thing that is the most marketable skill in the NBA he's going to go for so much more than drew holiday. And I think that the way that people talk about it is kind of like, Oh, well maybe the six is like, okay, we're talking hardened picks plus maxi plus shake potentially plus Fible. Like pretty much you're throwing everything at the wall and you're hoping something sticks and that you can get him. I just don't think it's realistic for the Sixers. Yeah. And you know, uh, I'll, I'll say this like the, also like the unique part of the situation that makes it so much different than the Harden deal was, James Harden through his own, you know, public displays was putting pressure on the Houston Rockets to trade him. Like they exactly. came to a point where it was just, it wasn't tenable. It wasn't, you couldn't go any further with it. The wizards don't want to part from Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal doesn't want to leave the wizards right now. There's no trade request in place. The, 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 no one has leverage besides the wizards because there's no reason to trade him. He still wants to be there. He still, you know, they're, they're, they're still, you know, even though they're not winning, they're still, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a happy relationship right now. When that happens, you need to fork up legitimate tangible assets yep. that, so if you're the heat, if you're the heat, maybe you go and you say, well, I don't think you- the heat have enough either, to be honest. If, if, I mean, unless you think, I know that GMs are high on Tyler hero and like, to me, if I were the Wizards, I would be like every pick and swap you can send me, Tyler, 
I mean, because if you're not getting, if you're not sending me BAM, which is obviously what I would want. That's what uh, I was going to say, BAM out of BAM. Of course, yeah. I mean, I would love to have BAM. Of course, yeah. That's that's a no-brainer. But I don't think they're going to send BAM. It doesn't sound that way. Uh, also, I don't think that exchanging Bradley Beal for BAM does anything for them in terms of, like, like right. I think it would keep them the same, essentially. But, um, but yeah, like, Duncan Robinson, Precious Achua, like, like I like Duncan Robinson a lot. I think he's basically to talk about comparing two white guys, but like a taller JJ Redick, essentially. Yeah. Uh, that's actually one comp where I'm like, I see a lot, like you watch the bam and the Duncan two man game. And you're like, Oh, that's Embiid and JJ. Or like Bertans. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I would guess Robinson probably gets 18 to 20 million. His death yeah. deal. No, absolutely. Which, which, which is going to be a good for him. I mean, can't to come from like a D three school to go to play at Michigan where you weren't even a starter, then go to Miami heat like that. That's an incredible crazy um, story. Yeah. Like if Boston wants to get funky with it, I could see them being like, Oh, well we don't want him going to Philly. Fuck that. Give me, we'll, we'll, we'll toss in Jalen Brown. That's a way better package than any kind of first round pick. No, I don't think they're going to give up Jalen Brown. No, no, no. I, I don't think they will either. But no, yeah, it's a better package than like Matisse, Thibel, Shake Milton. Oh yeah, not even close. Yeah, I think that. I think right now, I would say Jalen Brown and Bradley Beal are, are close to the same tier of player. And I think that Jalen Brown, the way that he has showed this year, and he can, I think he could potentially pass where just because of his two-way game, like in terms of like what he is able to do as a scorer and then also what he is able to do as a defender on ball. Like I I just look at him and I go, I would say that he has potentially a higher ceiling than Bradley Beal. And that's what the thing is like, you look around the league and like everyone really likes their team right now too. Like that is, that is part of the issue. And like, I know fans don't want to part with young players, but in some instances it's actually smart to do that because it's like, we just saw what happened with Brooklyn. They, you know, they had to throw every single pick, every single whatever out the door to yeah. get except for Kyrie and KD. And doing that, they're able to now put together three of the best offensive players of all time on one team. And if you're a team like Washington, I'm looking for the Michael Porter Juniors. I'm looking for the Jaron Jackson Jr. types. Like, I don't think that he's going to be on the table, but I'm thinking about guys, you know, that are on their rookie contracts, even like the way that DeAndre Hunter has played this year, like guys that are in their second, third year, maybe that are locked up for potentially the next five to 10 years that you think can blossom into a superstar because getting another Jamal Murray level player, Ben Simmons level, player, none of it makes any sense to me. Even Jalen Brown. Like I think Jalen Brown's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Like great player. Having just Jalen Brown does literally nothing. He's not a floor raiser in the way that even just having Jason Tatum would like, if, if you talk about Jason Tatum, okay. Now to me, he's more of a floor raiser. I think Jalen Brown's more of a ceiling raiser in terms of what he can do for your team, but you have to have that infrastructure in place. And right now it's going to be Russell Westbrook and a bunch of kids basically. Yeah. That's yeah. No, it's, it's so true. I think another thing, like what makes this so unique is like teams aren't really like, I don't think the trade market is, is that active at the moment, except for like the Rockets with PJ Tucker and like the the Pelicans. Little like moves. Teams that are like in clear decline directions or like in going different directions and they have aging vets that can help other teams. But like so many teams are missing time with COVID now. There's so much like like so much left to see from on a team on like a team to team basis. Um, and then also the play in seeds, the nine, 10 seeds, that's enormous. That's going to fuck a lot up. 
Exactly, because there are going to be teams that are still going to find themselves two to three games out of it at the trade deadline. And they're going to be like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's put all our eggs in and 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 go for it this year and see what happens. Like right. that's there's going to be teams that aren't aren't going to be aren't going to be selling in the same way that they would in a typical year with just a one through eight format. Absolutely. And like the one team that never, ever, ever, ever sells, but people talk about them like they're going to is the Orlando Magic. Like what from the past three years has has told you like that core of Vucevic, Fournier, Gordon, like those guys have been there since 2014. Like yeah. we're talking seven years they've been there. And all of a sudden you think they're just going to be like, nah, let's just get rid of all of them. Like, no, like that's not like Aaron Gordon is worth and and you can argue whether it's good process you can argue whether it's a smart move but like a guy like Aaron Gordon to them they view him as more valuable than what he's going to return in a trade and like I don't necessarily agree with that but like I I this is specifically targeted at Boston Celtics fans <laughs> who are on Twitter which is literally like we'll give you Grant Williams and a, a protected second round pick for Aaron Gordon and it's like first off you don't know the value of players and second off you and i am not even that high on aaron gordon but he would obviously go for more than that and then i look at it and i just go like the guy like i don't want to call out anyone but there are certain reporters in boston that will essentially do the dirty work the legwork for danny ainge and put things out there that are like does the name rhyme with weath myth Yes, possibly. He's a nice guy. I don't. I don't want to shit yeah. on him. But yeah. but the, but what I'm saying is is basically like is that there are these narratives that are created by the media that certain teams are going to move a guy, certain teams are going to do whatever, despite their history telling you the exact opposite. Now, one guy that I could see the magic potentially moving at the deadline, the only guy is Devin Fournier, and that's because he's an expiring contract he's in his late twenties now. Like I think that element of it might've run its course a little bit, but like, he's not like the other younger guys. He's not a borderline all-star slash all-star like Vucevic. So you might be able to part with him. And I know the Sixers have been a target for him. uh, Or at least that idea has been floated out there. But my point is that like, basically right now, the, the trades that are going to happen whether they're involving stars or guys that might just ask out of their situations, there's only a month and a half left until the trade deadline. Like you, that that, this shit is like, gotta get moving soon. If you want to like Bradley Beal's not demanding a trade in the next two months, let's get that out of our mind. So let's focus on the other kind of maybe more marginal moves that might be able to improve the team for this year and then readdress everything in the off season. That's kind of how I'm looking at it right now. Like I change my mind every fucking day, but for now, that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'll, I'll tell you, it's really, it's really interesting that like, like, like you view it that way. Cause I think specifically the Sixers, like, like for, for what you said for the general NBA, it makes a ton of sense. I think for the Sixers, you have to view it through the lens of, and I think Jackson Frank did a really good job of phrasing this. Um, does this make us good enough to get past second round this year? And additionally, or if not that, does this make you better for two to three years down the road? That's a really good way of looking at it for the Sixers because they're locked into their core of Joel, Tobias, and Ben, you know, assuming, you know, from a contractual standpoint for the next, you know, foreseeable future. 
So you're trying to put the pieces around those three to figure out what fits. So the moves that you have to make, you know, you, you're not trying to, to, to sell out for, for, you know, like a marginal upgrade. Like you're, like you're not going to trade things for Etwan more. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, like I think JJ Redick is kind of the exception to that because, because like, yes, he's 36. He can't play defense at all. He can't move laterally. Um, sounds his, great. What? <laughs> I yeah. said, sounds great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Right up the alley. It's perfect. Um, like the exception to that would be him because number one, if you look at his shooting splits, the, the over a quarter of his shots are, are, are coming with like very little space. So, I mean, he's not getting a ton of open looks and you wonder why, well, they have Zion, they have Steven Adams on the court together. Team teams know who to key on. It's not a secret. JJ Redick on the court. Um, it's easy. Um, it's, it's, they're the Sixers. They're the new Sixers this year. Right. Exactly. No spacing. Like yeah. they just signed a bunch of, they signed a big, a plotting big, they they went out, they got Eric Bledsoe, who is, you know, they'll leave him wide open now, so he'll hit some threes now, but you're not scared of him at all as a shooter. Right. Right. And that situation definitely has not been beneficial for JJ. For sure. But for sure. the one thing I will say about the JJ thing is if I'm Maury, I'm just calling, I'm calling his bluff. Like I'm calling David Griffin's bluff. Like I don't think you have a fucking offer out there. I don't think anyone wants to give up picks for him. I don't think anyone wants to give up a young player for him. I don't think anyone wants to even give up contracts that they could make for other trades. Yeah. I think right now, those the Celtics and the Nets are my competition, and they're not trading sh- shit for JJ Redick. So yeah. if you want to buy him out, have fun with that, and we'll sign him because he has a relationship with Joel there. And also, I like Brooklyn could sign them, but like if Brooklyn signs them, I'm not afraid of that anyway. They already have a ton of shooting and no defense. Yeah. Like what, and, whatever. You know, like more, and if they do it, you know what? More power to them because it's one less roster spot and you still haven't addressed the massive hole in the middle of the paint. That yeah, exactly. Getting so, wider and wider every day. Earlier tonight, Steve Nash had a quote about uh, eventually they're going to have to play Norvell Pell. And I was like... <laughs> We know as Sixers fans, best of luck with nine fouls per 36. So (laughs) I actually texted his agent right after Woj um, announced it. I was like, like, damn, I wish I got that scoop. And he was like, sorry, Woj. Woj." (laughs) (laughs) You needed that that Krell bomb, bro. Exactly. exactly. I was was like, I was like, like, well, I don't have any leverage because what could I possibly do with like to return? And I'm not even anti Norvell Pell. I thought he was a fun player, but yeah. like if he's your solution, you're fucked because yeah. he's not going to be the solution for any team that wants to contend. And yeah. the thing about, like you said, wasting a roster spot, if we feel like we need another shooter that comes off the bench that is more consistent, that has that. You know, I don't even know if he wants to play for Doc. I'm not positive. I know that they still have a relationship, even though things might have not ended great in LA, but they they're they now talk. They have at least some some form of a relationship. But my thing is is like if we're able to get him for absolutely nothing, great. If we spend a single asset on him in terms of a contract, in terms of a pick, whatever, I, I'm just not for it. Like I don't think that it moves the needle in a way. That is, you know, like we are talking about right now, it doesn't raise their ceiling literally at all. Like if yeah. anything, it might make them a little bit more competitive in the regular season. But when it comes to playoff time, 
I'm not sure how many minutes he can play. And we already have a few guys that I'm not so sure. Like, I don't know how many minutes you can play Dwight Howard because Dwight Howard has been a fucking disaster for the offense. (laughs) You know, what's amazing is he misses so many dunks and I, I'm just like, but bro, go up, just, just literally use your vertical athleticism, rise up and just put the ball through the rim. (laughs) I don't understand how he has, played in the NBA for so long and still makes rookie mistakes. Like he's a very talented player and like one of the best players of all time, probably top 75, hundred. And he can't do certain things that I'm like, you're in year, what? 15, 16 now? Like what's up? I think it's like 17 or 18 years. It's unbelievable. Like, and, and what he has done for the defense, I will say, his defense has been good and I'll give him credit for the defense. And like when Joel isn't on the court, the defense does not miss a beat in terms of rating. And like in the games that Joel plays when Dwight's able to go up against backup units and stuff like that, but that's a good sign. But like, until you figure out the offensive thing like that, those are the kind of players that we're talking about the JJ Reddicks, those kind of guys that like are, could contribute in some way, but like, do their flaws outweigh their positives to the point where they might not be playable in the, in the playoffs is, is what it comes down to. And if we're getting those guys totally fine, if you want to sign them as a buyout guy, totally fine. If you want to sign them as a free agent, but I just look at it as I want to have someone I know I can trust. If I'm giving up a protected first round pick or a high second round pick or whatever it is, a young player for con cork contract is expiring. Those kind of things. Like, like, in the tier of guys that I think about, like that might be gettable is like George Hill is like the main headliner in that kind of like just solid. Like I know on the first podcast I said, I wasn't sure because I was like, why don't you just give those minutes to shake? But now I'm like, shake is pretty inconsistent. <laughs> like he might not be the guy that I thought he was going to be this season uh, in terms of being ready for those moments. So right now I think that there are some in- And as you said, like, it basically comes down to, are they moving the needle so far? Are they a guy that can guarantee that they can play in the playoffs and make a difference in a seven game series and not get figured out in a seven game series, essentially. So right now I'm on team marginal moves for the time being. And if an offer comes up, that gives you a Kyle Lowry, a Victor Oladipo, a whatever, a guy who you might think can move the needle to the point where it takes you from good team to great team, then yeah, okay, I'm interested. Let's talk about it. Yeah. And I mean, like, so like, so like, you, you know, Brian Jacobs, <laughs> you've hit you and him going back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I know beef. Funny. I have no beef with him. I just made a joke once yeah. and he got mad. It's, so. it's always funny with people in Brian. It's, 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 <laughs> he, he's a big teddy bear really behind the scenes. But, um, <laughs> But like, so Laurie Markkinen, I think would be a guy because like, I, I, I just think that Chicago and him isn't just isn't going to result in an extension. I just don't see it. No, um, it's not. And like, they really need a stretch. Uh, the Sixers really, really need a stretch for. Um, and that's why I think that could be something that maybe you, you use assets on. But I also think this. So I, I heard before the season started that they had plans to find an, an addition additional third piece like a big like a like a like a, like a, a big fish third piece not right like a, you know but like a third star level player without getting or i guess a fourth now at this point um right with, with the without, way tobias is playing yeah, yeah yeah without giving up ben so like you look at the market and you're like well that's got to be zach levine so and I, I he's the guy like yeah, yeah well you know i yeah i have to question my basketball knowledge if, if 
Um, I'm not trading Josh Richardson and Matisse Thibel for him. No, I mean, yeah, uh, no, exactly. Exactly. It's a little inside joke here. Right. But um, but yeah, no, that that that's the guy. And I I will talk about this more probably as we get closer to the trade deadline, but like I've talked about it before. Like, if you want a difference maker, like I really do think that Zach can be that guy. And like I know that he inquired about Zach and Beal before the season. And I don't want to be repetitive here, but the fact that you're saying that now and the fact that that was also reported on draft night is like, to me is like, they're, they have the right mindset. Like they're going to keep pushing and like, they're going to annoy the fuck out of other general managers asking, but I like that they have their mind in the right place. Cause this team is fucking good. And like, as much as I complain about everything, <laughs> also, like it's, 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 it's unbelievable how much we do it. I have I've just the amount of optimism that I have about this team is probably the highest since the day that we traded for Jimmy Butler. Like in terms of like, we have a, a window, we have an opportunity to win a title and do it with our guys is a fantastic feeling. And I'm, I really do think that they're closer now than I thought before the season. I was like, hell fucking no. Now I'm like, they're that one guy away that I think that they can actually make that happen. If not this season, next season. And one of the things that is surrounding this whole topic is the next thing that we're going to just talk about here at the end which is the uh the lakers game which how did we not even talk about the lakers game until like yeah. an hour into yeah, this? Yeah, i know <laughs> I, I, you know I, I i took off from work that day because i was just like you know what so excited I gotta, yeah i gotta get myself in the mindset of like okay i'm covering the sixers i'm covering the sixers i am you know like uh they're playing the lakers and it was incredible like my first time like covering a sixers lakers game i'm in the zoom conferences and like the biggest names in ESPN are just popping in there with me. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Damn, that's yeah, it. yeah, I know. Like, like, like Cassidy Hubbard and like, and like Doris Burke's there. And it's, you know, it's, it's all, it's like the, the who's who of ESPN. Um, but like that game was just unbelievable. I mean, it was like, it was, you got like the, for the fans, you got like the roller coaster of like, okay, they're like legitimately putting a, putting a foot on the Lakers neck a little bit here going up like 14 points in the fourth quarter. Then it was like, okay, now with the old oh, the Sixers are back. back. Yeah, no, they, they, they run like a split screen going baseline for Anthony Davis, and he gets he gets a layup. Okay, the old Sixers are back now. And oh, then Tobias no. Harris hits the game winner. <laughs> just like, okay, this is the, the, the if if you need proof that this team is different, and like you want to talk about like, I don't want to say that this team has championship vibes. Like, I don't wouldn't say it's quite there, but like those kind of things are the things that happened for like real contenders. Like yeah. the reason why those things weren't happening for the, the reason why the Sixers were on the other end of that was because they were not real contenders. And like to be able to compete with the Lakers and I don't give a shit about how many games the Lakers had played before and blah, 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 whatever. You could come up with any excuse in the book, beating the Lakers at home for the second straight season, by the way. And we did it without Joel Embiid last year, Ben Simmons, the way that he has always stood up to the challenge of playing against LeBron James Tobias Harris playing absolutely lights out Joel Embiid, just at least for the first half, absolutely dominating the game yeah. to me. I'm like, that was the first time where I was like, you know what? They, they belong in the conversation. And now it's got to the point where the LeBron James thing is like, the media is just fucking blowing smoke and saying that he should be the MVP of the league. And like, 
don't get me wrong. Like I think LeBron James is the greatest player of all time. Like I'm not a LeBron hater yeah. by any means. Like I'm, he's an amazing, amazing player. Like yeah. it, at worst top two, like if you're a Jordan guy, cool, whatever. LeBron right now, this season has not impacted winning in the same way Joel Embiid has. And I don't even think he has in the same way that Jokic has. I don't think he has in the same way that even Kawhi Leonard has, to be honest. And like LeBron's been amazing. And the narrative around LeBron will be what eventually puts him into the conversation. But if I, if I did top three, I would go Kawhi, Jokic, Embiid, and I would have LeBron fourth. Like, on, on the yeah, MVP I don't know what you would have, but that's how I feel right now. You know, I, it's like, so for the, for the brand, I will say that Joel Embiid is, is gotta be, you know, like right there. But I mean, like numbers don't lie. Jokic is averaging like just under the same amount of points. Joel is, I would venture to say two to three times the assists. Um, and then, you know, similar rebounding numbers. Um, so, I mean, and that Denver team is only 12 and eight and wins do matter, but there's also a, a, a lot, a lot of good that the NBA gets out of crowning, you know, a, a huge, 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 um, you know, European star True. as an MVP. And that's a very marketable thing to have for the league back in, you know, Jokic's home country. I, I always forget the home countries for players. I don't even try anymore. I, I just say home countries. Is he from Serbia? I think he's I, Serbian. I always assume Slovenia for everybody. I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just put Slovenia. It wouldn't well, have to say Slovenia. Both Yugoslavia, right? But yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's funny. The Jokic thing, like, I think Jokic has been absolutely unbelievable. And I actually am in, I am, I don't care about wins. Like, I, if I watch a guy and they dominate it in a way that Embiid and Jokic are dominating right now, and the numbers when they, they can't help what happens when they're not on the court. Right. The Nuggets fucking suck when Jokic is on the bench. That's not his fault. Like they're winning every time he's on the court and they're losing every time he's off the court. And the Sixers have had the same thing with Joel and Embiid forever. So it's like, to me, that is the most valuable player. And like you, we can't sit here and say like that. Anthony Davis is the top five player in the NBA and then turn around and say, Oh, but LeBron James is the most valuable player. Like, that's my thing. It's like, I don't believe that Anthony Davis is a, I'd probably put him in the six to 10 range, but I would say that the media has been forced and everyone has been forcing that narrative down our throat. And I know that he hasn't been the same AD that he's been in past seasons and especially last year, but like if it's LeBron, LeBron NAD's team, then how can you give the award when Jokic and Embiid are doing it as individuals and uplifting their team every single time that they're on the court to the point where they have like, we're outscoring opponents by like, plus 16 or something with Embiid on the court. And like, we're just at like basically net neutral with him off the court in games that he plays. And we're in the negative when he doesn't play. So like, and it's the same thing with Jokic, like their offense is like, like, I think both of our offenses have like 124 offensive rating or 126 offensive rating. And when they're, when those guys are on the court and then it just fucking crashes when they're off the court. Jokic can only do so much. Embiid can only do so much with the talent that is around him and when he's not on the court. So those two, in my opinion, and even beyond just like same thing for Jokic, same thing for Embiid, like 
foreign players, like being able to like have that narrative and give it to a guy who isn't an American, which is so, so, so rare. Like they deserve it. <laughs> like right. they've been the most impactful players, like regardless of how you feel about the modern NBA and what the center plays as a role. Like they've been the most impactful players. And eventually I think the nuggets are going to get on the right path and end up a top three seed. And then the Sixers are going to get a top three seed. And then we'll just have to, we'll have to kill Jokic. So parody satire. I'm, yeah, I'm joking. Exactly right. I think he's an amazing not an actual threat to Jokic. No. Oh yes, um, obviously. No, no. Yeah, no, he's, he's amazing. And I, I'm glad that we have a center rivalry for the first time in forever. Yeah. When was the last time there was a center? And it's not even like they, they hate each other. It's like they have a mutual respect for each other, which is really cool. Yeah. And I you know it's, I don't know if the last time there was even like a center, center rivalry, but what was the last time that there was like two centers that were this good in the game, like at the Shaq and Shaq and Hakeem. I, I want to say like, yeah. Or like there was no one even on Yao's planet. Like he was far and away the best. Pl- I mean, maybe Yao and Dwight, but they yeah. weren't, but they, that wasn't even like comparable at that. Yeah. Like, like th- these are, these two are tearing up the game. They're dominant right now. But I also just think if you look at the history of the, of the award, MVP is, has the most, narrative support from the media typically um and you know there's there's generally a, a very big marketability behind that player russell westbrook's voice you know russell westbrook's personality and flair for sure um, you know lebron's story Jokic now you know he had a huge presence um you know overseas i you know with with lebron one thing that's i think really going to help him is the fact that like this might be the last chance that he can get one again he's 36 we don't know what the future holds. Like we don't know whether his body comes back next year and he's just like, okay, well it finally got him by the time finally right. got him. We don't know. And I think the media might view it that way. Um, so it's a lifetime achievement award essentially. Y- yes. Now if MB continues to do this, I think it's going to be hard to argue with, especially if the Sixers end up with like a one seed. If he can push that up to like 30 points a game, I think he has a good chance. 30 points. One. I mean, Bro, they're what? They're eleven and zero with the starters. They're twelve and fourteen and two. Fourteen and two when Embiid plays, like it's unbelievable. And like one of those losses. Now everyone's gonna have these kind of losses this year. But one of those losses was that game where they were playing against the Hawks. They've really only had one with most of the starters Seth was out for the Nets game but that was really their only blemish so far in terms of like when the players actually play and until they start losing and like it might catch up to them like they've had a lot of luck go their way and they've had a lot of their fucking defense down the stretch they have like an 87 defensive rating in clutch minutes I heard on a podcast that's that's like a dream a coach's dream is would be that insane when they want to be locked in that defense and it's all anchored by Embiid which is like he is the most important part of that defense which that is that's to me that's what puts Embiid over Jokic and it's not to say that Jokic isn't the probably I mean he's the best passing big I've ever seen he is the focal point of an offense that is absolutely I think number one in the league in terms of offensive rating and at least when he's on the court and all of that stuff is absolutely amazing. The only reason why I think Embiid might have that little inch is because when he does lock in, 
he could be the best defensive center in the league too. Like he could be the best rim protector in the league. So uh, yeah, that's, that's a nice thing to have when you're averaging 30 points a game and having your best offensive season by a wide margin and your team is winning. Like the only argument against Embiid is going to be the games played. Yeah. And you know, I think like as a season goes on, that's probably, you know, I, I think he'll end up playing better than 76% of games. Um, because I think that they're going to need him to in order to really lock up that one seed. I think the one seed is a huge thing uh, that, that, this year for them, just to have that you know that home court advantage. Plus, if like if 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 the Sixers are able to bring back fans into the arena, I mean they play for their fans. They play in front of their fans. Um, that could be huge for them having the one seed. Now, like and I think with the way that Doc has used Embiid, getting him quick deep catches in the post um, him living at the free throw line. I don't see why he can't average 30 points a game. I, I, I legitimately think there's a very real chance that he could push that. He could push that envelope and get to that point. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think if, if he's over 30, I will say that the defense has not been as good this year as it has been in the past, but I think that is more of an effort thing and more of, carrying the offensive load and those kind of things. But when he wants to, like in the playoffs, I'm sure we'll see a different level of Embiid defense. Like to me, there's that, that is the argument. And that is, and I'm not even speaking from like, just being a completely biased Sixers fan. Like there are non-Sixers fans that completely agree with me because I would absolutely give it to someone else. And I wouldn't be mad if Jokic got it either. But one last thing, if you have a little bit of time here, um, we, we got to touch on, Tobias Harris hits the game winner against the Lakers absolute rebound year. If he, here's the thing about the all-star thing. He has played like an Mm all-star. The Eastern conference is fucking loaded this year. Yes. Absolutely loaded. I mean, you just got three hall of famers sent to Brooklyn. Okay, great. Awesome. Jalen Brown is emerging as an all-star. He's definitely going to be an all-star. Yep. Jason, Jason Tatum's pretty much a lock. Giannis lock. Chris Middleton, not a lock, but like he will probably make it. Like I look down the top teams and I go, are they really going to give the Nets who are behind the Sixers in the standings right now? Three all-stars. Are they really going to give the Celtics and the Bucks and these teams that like, don't get me wrong. Those guys deserve it. They're not the reason why their teams are struggling right now. Are they really going to give them two all-stars and give the Sixers one? So I tweeted this last week. Like there's going to be a, not just one, but multiple guys that are averaging like between 27 and 33 points a game. And that are, that aren't just aren't going to get it. They're not going to make it this year, which is insane to think about. Um, I think Tobias, if he gets it, it'll be because they're the one seed. And they might get two to three all stars. Um, I think they'll get two. I yeah. I think that I love Ben now. Like I mean, he's been playing great. Like he's not putting up the points, and he's you know I know the rebounds. Like people just don't care about that when it comes to the all star game. Like, they don't. They don't. And I guess so I think like Tobias has leapfrog leapfrogged leapfrogged Ben in probability, but I just I if they get that one seed, I think he has a good chance. Otherwise, like. He just his production is great. It just it blends in with 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 so many 
the other guys in the East. Now, I think they, the one thing is like the, the wing depth isn't as prolific as the guard depth is in the East. True. So that could help him. Um, but, you know, he's having a great year. I, it just isn't like up there with like the 27 points per game thing. So I think it's going to be, you know, like a wait and see type of, type of a deal. But right. if they have one seed, so rarely do you see a one seed not get two all-stars. I mean, the, the Hawks had crazy. The Hawks Four. had like five, five, six years ago. They had their entire <laughs> 35 was in the game. Like, yeah. like years ago, man, the so. East was, was brutal. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Take me back. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, to me, like the, the locks are Giannis, KD, uh, Embiid, Jalen Brown. And then from there, like, and like, I know that like Tatum missed a lot of games and like, also Beal is on a losing team. Like, Trey Young's team's better, but it's not even necessarily because of him. <laughs> like, yeah, he's not been that great. Those three point shootings up now. Like, yeah, like I mean, Trey's. I like Trey. Like Trey's a fucking insanely talented offensive player. But like, if you look at what they've been doing, it's not necessarily because of him in the way that like he got it because of the stats last year. But like, you're just gonna give it to him because of the wins. Like, then does Indiana get no one? They're gonna be like the three or four seed. Are they gonna get no Sabonis? No Brogdon. Like to me, Brogdon or Brogdon, Sabonis. I think he's gonna make it. I I, I hope. I think Brogdon yeah. deserves it. Like yeah. I I do. I would guess Harden does not make it. I don't think Harden makes it either, which is insane to think. Yeah. But like, traded to the. To, missed uh, the way this season started with him missing the games traded taking a back seat like his impact numbers aren't even close to where they used to be like he's still at an all-star level in terms of impact but like i don't yeah i agree with you i don't think that harden's gonna make it i think Kyrie and katie will probably make it like then i'm like looking i'm like levine's gonna miss trey's probably gonna miss like the, as you said these guys that are putting up ridiculous numbers but Overall, the East is just absolutely loaded. But I will say the fact that Tobias is in this conversation, if you had told me this two months ago, I would have been like, you are absolutely fucking insane. And I want to put on put it on the record. I was pro Tobias Harris, even through all the shit last year, up until the Celtic series when he completely shit the bed. And a lot of that was just things beyond their control. And I can't necessarily be all that mad at him. When the preseason started, I panicked and was like, get him out of here. Like, like we've broken his brain. He, and, and one of the things that the Tobias detractors used to say was that he like, Oh, he's the same guy he was in LA. And then I'm like, no, he's not like, watch the highlights. Yeah. No, he, 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 I don't even think he's as good now as he was in LA. He was a star. Level I think he's player. the same level. I think he's the same level. I think that the opportunity that, well, yeah, well, the pull, the he was hitting an unsustainable amount of pull up threes, and he was running the pick and roll incredibly well that season. But in terms of like, I would say he's about the same. I mean, he's hitting forty seven percent of his threes right now. Like he's he's flirting with. 20 points a game, 50, 40, 90. Like he's been unbelievable. Like during preseason, I was literally stupid enough because I'm a reactionary Sixers fan to trade him for Kevin Love, who hasn't been good in like five years. (laughs) But I was just like, at least his contract's a year shorter. Like you get off the deal. And I'm another apology. I was completely wrong about that. And like, I panicked in the moment and Doc has 
completely fixed him. And the fact that he's in this conversation, it's awesome. I'm glad because he's a good dude and he deserves this. And if he doesn't make the all-star team and some fucking other dude makes it that that's the thing is like, you can't really say that they're not qualified. (laughs) The other guys aren't qualified. Conversation this year is legitimately worthy of being an all-star. That's just like the progression, the evolution of, 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 of the player now, like, and the, like the like defense is down in the league um, and everyone's scoring more. And so like every guy that's in the conversation is averaging legitimately the 20 points a game. I don't know. That, I don't think well, well over this year. I don't think Middleton gets it um, just because they're not like the bucks aren't that good right now, but they're still what the three seed. And also he's been really good. That's the problem is like, if you look at his numbers, he's basically been like a more, prolific version of Tobias so I'm like how can you include one and not include the other like it's all very hard to me and I think that ultimately if I had to put money on it I'd say Embiid and Tobias make it and I think they both deserve it obviously Embiid does and I think Ben will get back on track next year but the rough start really just took him Mm -hmm. off track and I yeah. think by the end of the year, he'll be closer to the averages that he was averaging before this. And then next year, he'll make it back to the all-star team. But the fact that we even have three guys in the conversation, I'm telling you, dude, we're one piece away. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say. We'll say. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Austin. Had a great time recording. And I hope you come back on in the future. And sure. best of luck with everything, dude. For sure. And you take care. Thanks for having me, Trail.